I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends chat about books and reading with another book lover, and we find book lovers everywhere. And talking about books is one of our favorite things to do besides, you know, like eating chocolate and eating cheese. but And drinking wine. And drinking wine. And we're a little biased, but we think reading people are the coolest people. So today on the show, we feature the Blue Marble Bookstore, which is just across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio. And it is a bookstore that serves children from birth to young adult. And I first heard about the Blue Marble in an article about their great green room. So if you have children, had children or grandchildren in the last 70 years, you have most likely read the the bedtime classic, Goodnight Moon, that was written by Margaret Wise Brown and illustrated by Clement Hurd. And at the Blue Marble, there is a recreated great green room that includes everything from the comb and the brush and the bowl full of mush to the quiet old lady who was whispering hush. But then we delved a little bit deeper and we learned that the Blue Marble was one of the first children's bookstores in the country and that its founder, Tina Moore, was a pioneer in the field. Unfortunately, Tina passed away in 2016, but our guest, Caroline Stein, has taken on the role of general manager and continues Tina's mission for the store. She's giving the store a bit of a facelift, broadening their foreign language section, and has created an inviting area just for teens. And she explains why the Blue Marble has been such a special place for young book lovers for over 30 years. But first, Carrie, we have some things to talk about. We do. We traveled together this week. And it went remarkably well. You Nobody were sh- died. <laughs> Nobody cried. <laughs> One thing I love to do when I go anywhere other than my hometown or even my hometown is I like to check out the bookstores. Do you, do you do that when you travel? When Dean and I went on our, our 20th wedding anniversary, we went to Quebec city and Montreal. And yes, when we were there, we checked out bookstores. We found this, this really cool library up in Quebec city. So yes, you know, if I'm with adults, I like to wander around and kind of get lost and just randomly explore. And if I come upon a bookstore, I will definitely check it out. Now, with when I'm with my kids, it's a little bit different. And my kids are still fairly young, so I don't really get a whole lot of opportunities to just to do whatever I want to do. If it was up to me and I could do whatever I wanted to do, then yes, we would make a beeline to, to bookstores. Well, what I love about it is that each independent bookstore, I feel like has its own personality, you know, just like people. And so it's fun to, to visit uh, different ones. I call it bookstore tourism. (laughs) Wherever I go, I like to visit at least one bookstore if they have it and most places do, but That's why I love that each season we have been highlighting a different bookstore. We went up to Cincinnati, Ohio, and we visited the Blue Marble, actually. I think we shocked Caroline. I I think she was really surprised to see us. We we, uh, recorded this interview with her probably two or three weeks ago. And we stopped into the store, and it is just as cute and quaint as uh, it sounds like it is when you hear this episode. But we also visited uh, Melanie Moore from the Cincy Book Bus. She was at an event at a coffee shop um, just over the river from Cincinnati in Covington, Kentucky. And that and was adorable. Also, yep. And we also went to see 
Amy Hunter at the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. So it was like meet and greet all three days. So we had a great time. And Carrie totally wigged out. So in Cincinnati in the over the Rhine area, they have all kinds of murals and all the sides of buildings that are done by different street artists, I think. And you took pictures of just about everyone that we saw. Yeah, they they were super, super cool. It was a great idea, and I think more more cities should do that. I I wish that our city, I think they're starting to do it a little bit more, but not in the same number that is going on in Cincinnati. Yes, and over the Rhine, it was like every place we turned around, we we could find them. So it was totally for fun, this trip, and for me to get away from my family, because we've been all up in each other's business for the last 18 months, and I needed a break. So it was mostly for fun, but it was also to see some things that our former guests and current guests um, suggested to us. We went to Finley Market in Cincinnati, which is this market that has butchers and bakers and what's the nursery rhyme? Butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. There might have even been some candlestick makers in there. Spice shops, everything. But there was this bakery. It had the most delicious thing there that I have had in a long time. It was a bakery called Blue Oven, and they had this thing called Fancy Toast. And I asked the baker what Fancy Toast is, and he told me it's it's this Italian specialty, I think. And it's like a piece of brioche that they drizzle with a little bit of simple syrup, and then they put like this orange marmalade on it, and they sprinkle almonds on it. It was so good. I'm still thinking about that Fancy Toast. I was just happy I didn't have to cook. Well, the there you time, go. I didn't That's... cook. I was happy with whatever got put in my belly. We pretty much none just walked around. None of it was donuts, though. I should no, say. it was none of it no was donuts. donuts. You know, we we visited a lot of our former guests. Who some were at libraries, some were at bookstores. We need to like focus on France, so <laughs> yes. we can go visit. <laughs> That's right. That's the goal. <laughs> now, I love Cincinnati. It was a great trip. I love the murals, but you know. I wouldn't be opposed to checking out bookstores in France. That would be pretty awesome. I think that's where Shakespeare and Company is, right? That famous bookstore? Yes. Have you heard of it? Yes. Yes. But for all our listeners out there, if you have a bookstore that you think that we should highlight, send us a message through our website or on Instagram. We we need to get to Caroline (laughs) and the Blue Marble. Okay, let's do it. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Caroline, I am always excited to talk to booksellers, bookstore managers or bookstore owners because I always have this secret dream of owning one or running one myself. So first, tell us just a little bit about where you are working and where you grew up. So my name is Caroline Stein. I am the general manager for Blue Marble Books in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, which is about five to seven minutes from downtown Cincinnati. So I'm in the greater Cincinnati area. I actually grew up in Fort Thomas, Kentucky and came of age in this area. And I 
did not start my life as a bookseller. I am a theater person, actually. So I came of age in the arts and have actually dedicated most of my life to art making and working in the theater, but have dabbled in bookselling for most of my life. Sort of been my second passion. So when I was in grad school, when I was trying to make money while making art. This has been my second career. And then when COVID hit, this became my full-time career. So it has always been something that I have done and been passionate about and finally became something that I sort of stepped into full-time within the last year, year and a half. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're living my little dream right there. (laughs) So as a child and a teenager, were you a person who enjoyed reading? Tell us a little bit about what what that was like. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny because my dad likes to tell me that when I was learning how to read, I used to get really angry with him and tell him, I hate reading. I never want to learn to read. (laughs) Because I remember sitting with him on our porch and learning to read with Shel Silverstein's A Light in the Attic. Mm. And seriously saying to him, like, I hate this. I hate reading. And then I became the biggest bookworm that you've ever known. So I never went anywhere without a book as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult. Like the prerequisite for owning a purse was that it had to be able to hold a book in it. (laughs) (laughs) Even like I was the kid who took a book to prom. Uh, (laughs) Oh, wow. I just always wanted to be prepared for if I was bored or if things got slow or, you know, like I wanted to have a book just in case. So I was very into books that were about kids who needed to get up and do things and take care of difficult situations. Like one of my favorite books was The Girl Who Owned a City, which is oddly fitting for this day and age. And it's still in print. I checked before we got on here today. It was about a huge virus that like swept through the world and killed everybody over the age of 12 and was about a 10-year-old girl who created a city in an old school full of children and she becomes their leader and takes care of all of them and wages war against the evil kids who aren't taking care of all the other kids and it's in a graphic novel form now I just got it into our store actually (laughs) Um, so like I loved that and I used to like sneak the books I wasn't allowed to read and hide them under my mattress. And I used to hide books like Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim and Matilda between my bed and the wall and like hide a flashlight under my pillow and read it. I'm sure my parents knew and they were like, she thinks she's being so sneaky. We're just glad she's reading. So I was definitely that kid. <laughs> I love that idea that you you never wanted to be bored. So you brought a book because I always wonder about people who say that they're bored because I think that I almost would never be bored if I had books around. Right. Because if you have a book, you always have an adventure. That's right. I know for myself, and part of it is because I teach middle and high school students, but I tend to really enjoy that age range for students, but also for myself. So I'm curious, and, and also because you work in a children's bookstore, do you read adult books or do you tend to gravitate more towards books for younger readers? So I do sort of a smattering of both. I think that Young adults are so lucky today because there are so many books at their fingertips that didn't exist when I was that age. You know, I'm 37. When I was a teenager, the only books that existed were like Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley Twins, Christopher Pike, R.L. Stein, and then the classics. And that was it. And if you weren't into those, 
you either had to read adult books or you had to read the classics and that was all that was at your fingertips. So they're so lucky that there's so many cool books being written for young adults to the point that as a bookseller, I've started to notice that new young adult books, like the new hardbacks, Mm. are now being priced at adult prices because publishers have started to realize that adults are buying YA books, which is fascinating to me. I just started to realize this like within the last like three months or so. And I read a mixture of both. I have a lot of adult authors that I love and I love YA books. There's so many cool stories being written and so many really astute, beautifully deep stories being written that are incredibly relevant. They're so on top of current issues. They're incredibly deep and smart and witty. And they're talking about things that are so important. It, it just like current teens. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I, I read both. I mean, the downside about being a bookseller is that I don't have as much time to read as I'd like. If you walked into my home right now, you'd see stacks and stacks and stacks of books. And I would get embarrassed and tell you that I haven't read most of them. Blue Marble Books has a pretty interesting story. Can you tell us how it began and why? Yeah, it's a really special place. It was founded in 1979 in Fort Thomas by a Filipina woman named Tina Moore. And Tina, I mean, she really was the embodiment of the quote unquote American dream. She came to Fort Thomas with basically nothing to her name. And she and her husband wanted to found a toy and bookstore on the principles that children did not need batteries in order to have fun. And at the time when they first opened it, it was a toy and bookstore. So it was both things. So she was an immigrant from the Philippines. She came into what at the time, and it still is like a predominantly white town, and opened this small business. And right away was just this spitfire, amazing woman selling toys that didn't need anything to run except children's imagination and selling books as well. And she was incredibly successful. In 1991, they moved the bookstore to a different location, to the location where we are now, which is on South Fort Thomas Avenue. And that was when they created one of our biggest customer drawing points, which is the Great Green Room. So we have this amazing, beautiful room on our second floor that is an exact replica of the bedroom in the book Good Night Moon by Margaret Wise Brown. So she and her husband and a bunch of their friends worked together to create this beautiful exact replica of the Good Night Moon bedroom. And people have come and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, people come from all over the country to come see it. And it's it really is very magical and very beautiful. Like it sounds really simple and it is very simple, but it, I mean, even at 37, I go in there and I have to like touch the bowl full of mush <laughs> to make sure that it's not real. And And I will tell you, little toddlers go in there and their eyes get bright wide and they throw themselves into bed with the little bunny and they have to find everything in the room. And Tina was very special and she not only created this very special bookstore, but at the time, and I think what I didn't realize until I started to really grasp the importance of her story, was that people didn't make bookstores just for children at that time. Like that was unheard of. And people thought that that was foolish. People really thought that was 
a foolish and idiotic idea at the time to create a bookstore that was just for children. And at the time, what is now called the American Booksellers for Children's Association did not exist. And Tina started that. She founded it. Oh, wow. And it, it now exists and it's a huge thing. And now there are bookstores for children all over the country. But Tina Moore was the person who created that. She was the person who started that. She brought in authors from all over the country. And when they first created this location where we are now, the upstairs was a and b Like for authors, when they would come to visit the bookstore, they would stay at the bookstore. So they wouldn't have to rent a hotel room. They wouldn't have to do anything like that. They could come and stay here. We would have a potluck for them and feed them when they came here. So they would really get a unique experience when they came to visit the Blue Marble. And it was really different than going to any other bookstore. So it was a really special, homey different experience than authors would get anywhere else. And I think a lot of authors have a soft place in their hearts for this bookstore for exactly that reason. So I know that the founder, Tina Moore, passed away. Um, yeah, 2016. Ago. Okay. After her passing, how is the bookstore continuing her vision of what she wanted the bookstore to accomplish? So one of the things that was very important to Tina and since I have come on, one of the things that I've been working very hard to continue is advocating for children's literacy and advocating for every child, no matter who they are or what walk of life they come from or what language they speak or what the color of their skin is, that they have a home here at the Blue Marble, that they can walk in and see themselves represented in a book here. And that was something that was very important to Tina. She was one of the first bookstores to have a foreign language section. So we are working on rebuilding that foreign language section, which is very difficult to do for languages besides just Spanish. Mm. So we're working on that, but also creating a wide array of books that show children from all different countries, children with all different skin colors, children with all different representations. So children from the LGBTQ community, children just from all different realms of life so that they can walk in and see themselves on the pages of books, no matter what age they are, that they can find a book that is about them and a child like them when they walk into the store. With you all focusing on children's books, I would imagine that there are some special needs that a children's bookshop has in terms of, of how it's run and how it's managed that might be different from a general bookstore. So is that the case? And if so, what are some considerations that you all have to always keep in mind? I think that one of the things that we have to look at that maybe a bookstore that caters to grown-ups doesn't look at is that we're looking at what are the issues that children have to face and look at in their everyday lives and what are the books that can help them walk through those issues and how can we find a way to help them look at that. So to simplify that, for example, like we have books on different 
learning disabilities. We have books on divorce. We have books on LGBTQ issues. We have books on service learning things. So like Mm -hmm. learning about children in different countries. There's a book called like My Librarian Rides a Camel. So learning about children from different countries and how they access water or how they access learning on a daily basis and things like that. So there are different issues that children face every day that maybe like grownups don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure we have books that touch on that, not just so that those children can see themselves represented, but so that children who maybe don't face those issues can also learn about that and have a wide range of knowledge so that they are learning about kids all over the world and understanding that kids that aren't like them also face a wide range of issues on a daily basis. This kind of goes along with that a little bit, but I know that on your website says that you sell books for kids ages birth to 18 years old. And so I was wondering if it's challenging to serve age groups that are so diverse. I mean, you know, you have the green room, which we'll talk about in a second, that sounds amazing, but do you ever struggle with, you know, your teens, your young adult readers? You don't want things to be too babyish for them. right? Yeah. I mean, I would say the biggest struggle when it comes to the older kids is just getting them to recognize that we aren't a bookstore just for babies. Mm -hmm. And that's probably been the biggest challenge that I have faced since coming into the shop is getting the word out that like we aren't just a bookshop for babyhood to middle school because I think that that has sort of become what we are known for is that we are you know Blue Marble is where you go to shop for board books and picture books and things like that where we do have a really nice teen section and I would say half of our staff are very avid YA readers and I have recently got on Book Talk and I'm part of this huge thing that is this new phenomenon that is Book Talk. Do you guys know about Book Talk? No. It, it's TikTok, <laughs> but for books. Oh, y'all, it is the Wild West. <laughs> it is crazy. Like, I don't even know what to tell you. It is so wild. All of a sudden, the publishers realized that all these books that haven't been on the New York Times bestseller list for like 10 years were suddenly hitting number one again, and they didn't know why. And it was because teens were getting on TikTok and promoting their favorite books. And all of these books were suddenly getting purchased by teens, and teens were basically shooting books up to number one again. And it's because they've been promoting books on their own instead of paying attention to like everybody else telling them what to read. And it's through TikTok. And basically teens are like telling each other what they love instead of listening to like adults telling them what is good and what to read. I mean, yeah, that has been a challenge, like figuring out how to encourage older readers to know that we have a niche for them. And part of that has been renovating our teen room and making it a special place that is just for teens Mm -hmm. and isn't a dumping ground, which it kind of was when I got here. It was like a forgotten space. And we really have worked to renovate it and have it be like a nice little treehouse of a room again. So yeah, that is a challenge. It definitely mm-hmm. is. You know, when I was thinking about special needs of a, of a children's bookshop, when you think about birth to 18, it's only 18 years. But when you're born, you're, I mean, I always thought of my kids, I called it the wormy stage. You yeah. know, they're just like worms. They eat, yeah. sleep, and poop. You know, that's yeah. all they do. And then they go to becoming these 
people who have their own opinions and their own life journeys, you know, that they're getting ready to take. So even though it's like this very condensed short period of time, when compared to your whole lifespan, the change that children undergo is unreal, you know? So I guess that was what I was thinking of too. Like, you know, you're trying to really make sure that you hit, like you said, you want to cater to the young children, but 17 and 18 year olds don't really want to have anything to do with nine year olds. So trying to make sure that you're hitting all of those different things, it's more of a struggle, I guess. Right. Well, (laughs) and I feel like I'm very lucky in that I came here out of teaching high school theater. Mm-hmm. So that was a very good transition. Not that I'm like a professional at knowing what teenagers want. Like none of us are. We're not teens. I mean, the beauty of being a high school theater teacher is that you aren't just with them for an hour a day. Mm-hmm. You are with them for six hours a day. So you are their surrogate parent and you are learning a lot more about them. You know, I was really getting to have like a good insight into what they were like and what they loved and what their hopes and aspirations were and how powerful they were and what their opinions were and you know what they were passionate about. And you know, there's still going to be times when I like do not hit the mark. But yeah, yeah. I mean it, it it was a good way to have good insight into how strong and amazing and smart our teenagers are and capable you were just talking about the new teenage room that you have. So give us like a verbal tour of your store, the different sections that you have. We've actually been working on a renovation. We've been giving the store a facelift. It's the first facelift that it's had ever since they moved here in 1991, which has been really exciting. We haven't completely finished yet, especially because the front room is my white whale. It's where most of our inventory is. (laughs) So that room is going to be really, really tough to do. So when you first walk in the store, that is where the youngest books are. So that's where like the board books, the beginning readers, the picture books, where we have what I call our learning corner, like Brain Quest and um, Where's Waldo and all of those books are going to be located. My favorite books like uh, Audrey and Don Wood, Little Mouse, Red Ripe Strawberry, Big Hungry Bear. It's one of my favorite picture books of all time. All of those are going to be in our front room, which is where you first walk into the store. The store used to be a house. So the next room we call the living room. That is the young readers room. So that's where you're going to find like the graphic novels, the classics, the religion books, mythology and then the middle school magic tree house, A to Z mysteries, all the young readers chapter books. So everything up till like the age of 12 to maybe 13 are going to be in that next room. And that's actually the last room that we renovated. So I'm really proud of that room. A friend of mine who works at the opera and at Playhouse in the Park in Cincinnati came in one day and in nine hours, she and I flipped that room. That's the beauty of working in theater is that you have theater (laughs) friends and you can come in and you're both like, all right, we're going to attack this sucker. We're going to take some paint and we're going to make it happen. And then the next room is the what we call the kitchen even though it is no longer a kitchen because that's our nonfiction room and when I first came here in September that room was a living nightmare for me it was filled with probably 2,000 books at the time and had no windows in it it was ceiling to floor books you could not possibly find anything in there and in the early spring of this past year we took that room apart we had a 
brown bag sale that I modeled after one that the Cincinnati Public Library used to do downtown. So we sold bags for $15 each and people could shove as many books as they wanted into it. So we emptied that room of tons of old inventory. And now we actually took down the shelves, discovered a window behind one of them. And it's now painted this beautiful sky blue has white shelves, is big and open, has a beautiful armchair in it, and is like this lovely nonfiction nook and is filled with just like all the biographies and nonfiction books and has like lovely displays. And I'm really proud of it. It's really awesome. So that's where you find like nonfiction for all ages, except I would say teen probably. So basically through middle school. And then just beyond that is what would have been when this was a house, the porch area, except it's closed in. And that's our teen room. And it looks out onto our secret garden, which is out in the back. What? There's a secret garden? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we are really fortunate. One of the really lucky things that we've had during this pandemic is that we are one of the few bookstores in this area that has an outdoor space. So we are really lucky in that we have been able to do some outdoor activities during the pandemic. And we have a space we call the Secret Garden. We have this beautiful pergola. Uh, Before it got too cold last fall, we had a Meet a Mermaid event. I have a friend who's a professional mermaid, and she came. (laughs) What's wrong with my life? I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. It definitely is. It definitely is. So we have a fish pond out there. So she came and sat by the fish pond, and the kids paid for a ticket and they got like this beautiful swag bag full of like mermaid stuff and they all got a mermaid book and they got to meet and talk to the mermaid to ask her all kinds of questions most of them wanted to know why she didn't live in that particular pond it was mostly ages like three to six that came you know so it's it's a really cool space but anyway the teen room looks out onto that and there's a door in the teen room that goes out into the secret garden so the teen room kind of feels like a little tree house because it has now that it's summer all those trees are green and it has this like lovely treehouse kind of feel because it's all windows in that room we had donated to us this big beautiful basket chair that we have in there so it kind of has the feel of like a teen's bedroom a little Mm. bit upstairs we have the great green room and then in the great green room is not only the replica of the great green room which of course comes from the first sentence of margaret wise brown's book which is good night moon right But we also have up there our first and signed editions of books because we also sell first and signed editions of children's books. So about the Great Green Room, so how was it created? I think I read somewhere that people in the community made things for it. Yeah, so it was basically Tina, her husband, and friends of theirs all came in and created like the curtains, the bed, the portraits of like the cow jumping over the moon and the three little bears sitting by chairs. So when they first bought this building, the woman who owned it did not at first give them the second floor. And then eventually they owned the second floor as well. And when they gained the second floor, they went upstairs and they saw the fireplace and the windows on either side of it. And Tina thought this has to be the great green room from Goodnight Moon. If you open the book Goodnight Moon, 
that is one of the first images you see is the fireplace with the windows on either side. And so they had friends who created the drapes that are the yellow and green stripes. One of our employees who still works here created the little old lady whispering hush and sewed her dress and apron that looked just like in the book. So she's the little old bunny. We have a big giant bunny that is wearing the little striped pajamas just like in the book they painted vases and a clock to look just like the blue clock that sits on top of fireplace so like if you go to our website you can see Cincinnati Refined did a beautiful photo shoot for us uh, this past year of that room and I think we have a link on our website and some of the pictures that you can see it's very simple I mean I don't know how to explain like that it's so magical and I'm not exaggerating like it really is such a like magical little space and it's so cool to see how the little kids come in and for them it is so special because this book they've read over and over again is suddenly real and it's so special to see for them how the book has suddenly come to life yeah, and they just cannot get over how it has suddenly come to life. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think if you're a book lover and there are books that you've read over and over and over again, I mean, just going someplace to where that book is set uh, for an adult can be really just magical. You know, that feeling of you are whooshed back to the setting of that book. On a smaller scale, it's like when you get to go to Diagon Alley in Harry Potter world yeah, or something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. obviously, yeah, right. it's not as grandiose as that. But like, it, it's a smaller version of that kind of thing where you're yeah. like, this thing that I love has suddenly become real. And it's very magical. So I know you have some special programs. I know you're doing a summer reading program, mm -hmm. and I think you might have done an open mic night or a poetry yeah. contest, something like that. Tell us about <laughs> these things. So we did a, a poetry contest for National Poetry Month, which was in April. And so we had an open mic night for the winner of that, which was really fun. That was something we were able to do out in our secret garden. So again, very lucky that we had this wonderful outdoor space where we could still have an event during COVID. Our summer reading program, we kept it incredibly simple this year because as I've told a lot of the parents, 2020 was hard enough. So we've kept it very, very simple. Uh, we've done sort of a coffee shop model where we have a bookmark with marbles on it, 10 marbles. And for each each book the kids buy, we just punch a marble. And once they get to 10, they get a free book. Right now, we are still in recovery mode from COVID. Every business suffered during COVID. Yeah. So just getting back to having full capacity sales again, and really getting back to encouraging people to shop local and shop within their communities, which people were amazing at doing at this past Christmas. But I really, really want to see that at a like full capacity on a regular basis. So I think once we get to that point on a really regular basis, we can start to incorporate some of these very cool things into our everyday at the store. I wanted to ask about that because my two older children are fully vaccinated, but I have an 11 year old, right? Yeah. And so we can't fully go back to quote unquote normal because right. one of us is still not able to get a vaccine. Right. So with you all being a children's bookshop and everybody under 12 definitely cannot get a vaccine yet, mm -hmm. how are you all navigating that and especially trying to have events you you mentioned the outdoor space which is awesome and allows you all some flexibility but right. what does that balancing act look like it's been really tricky and it's been especially tricky because the mandates have just been lifted everywhere 
which really makes it hard, I think, for small businesses because it makes it really hard to enforce masking. So one of the things that we have really been trying to do is to encourage masking because our clientele is mostly under the age of 12, especially amongst older people. But that is hard to do because the mandates have all been lifted. So if we have events, we are having them outdoors. We are not doing anything that I do indoors, like story time is still virtual. So I do a virtual story time every Saturday at noon on Facebook and Instagram live. I am hoping to start doing some story times in the secret garden out back. We didn't do it in June because of the cicadas um, (laughs) and they were so bad up here. But I mean, it really has been tricky because I, as a small business, you don't want to turn people away because you need the sales. And at the same time, You don't want to make somebody like you who has a young person who you want to keep safe feel like they aren't going to be safe inside the store. And that is really, really important to me. So one of the things I just released to my staff actually was that I am going to be gently lifting our mask mandate in July. But what I told my staff was that I would like them to follow the lead of our customers as per our customer's comfort when they come in the store. So if a customer is masked, I would like our staff to be masked. All of our staff is vaccinated. And that was something that was very important to me. Because I think it's really important that we take care of our young friends and our immunocompromised friends. Well, it sounds like you have great things going on at the Blue Marble. I think, Carrie, we definitely have to stop by there because we need a picture in the green room. We would love to have you. When we come by. (laughs) Thanks so much for talking to us about it. And we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Caroline Stein and with Carrie. Carrie, I just came back from vacation and I don't know what you've been up to. So fill me in. I have been a busy bee in part because I decided to put the kibosh on Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. (laughs) I'm putting it to bed. I read (laughs) halfway through and... I couldn't do any more. What made me do it is I got on Goodreads and I found an awful lot of people who feel just the way I did. And I thought, you know what? I'm done. So it's empowerment to let it it go. It is. Normally, like, I don't like to quit books, but I decided that I really needed to quit that book. So (laughs) I listened to the audiobook of Memorial Drive by Natasha Traithaway. She's a poet and was the poet laureate in the U.S. Her mother was murdered by Natasha's stepfather. So her mother was murdered by her husband when Natasha Traithaway was 19. In this memoir, she tells the story of her parents who divorced when she was about six or seven. Her dad was white, her mom was black, and goes on to tell the story of how she and her mother moved to Atlanta, and then her mother remarried. Her stepfather was emotionally abusive to her, psychologically abusive, but uh, violent with her mother. And so it was both interesting, but also really gut-wrenching. So at one point, the police 
tell her mother, in order for us to do anything, we need evidence. Like, we need to hear him say that he's going to kill you. We need proof of an actual threat rather than just, you know, she said, he said. And so in this audiobook, Natasha Traithaway reads the transcript of the phone conversations some of them that her mother had with her stepfather. And this was before a lot of the laws were written that were intended to keep women safe from men, either their husbands or their partners or boyfriends or whatever, who were threatening them, stalking them, harassing them. I I mean, it was almost surreal how the things that he would say to her and how she just kind of was able to remain calm he basically said, I'm going to kill you. You know, I have to do this. I'm going to kill you. If you won't be with me, I don't see any other way. And he kept saying, you have a choice. And, and she was like, what, I'm either with you or I die. (laughs) You know, like that's a perverted choice. Like I said, it was interesting, but it was also really shocking. You know, as somebody who has never lived in that kind of environment, it was really eye opening to see what a lot of women deal with and suffer with. I mean, women are still killed regularly by their domestic partners. So it was hard to listen to, but I also felt like it was really important for me to kind of go, oh, women deal with this way more frequently than I like to imagine they do. I heard an interview with her on NPR. I think it was Terry Gross with Fresh Air. I think every time I say, I heard an interview with that person, it's always with Terry Gross, but it was hard to listen to, but fascinating. Yeah. So Caroline, what have you been reading? I have about eight books that I am halfway through, but going back again to the problem of like being a bookseller and not having time to read. And I think I still have pandemic brain where like I can't get my brain to focus and finish a book right now. But I did just finish House of Hollow by Crystal Sutherland. It's a YA book. It was very good. It was very dark. It's about these three sisters who, when they're children, they go on this walk on New Year's Eve with their parents. They're living in, I think, Great Britain, and they vanish mysteriously. Their mother turns to their father to kiss him and then turns back around and their daughters are gone. And they reappear a month later and there's something wrong with them. And their father looks at them and says, like, you're not my children. And then it's years and years and years later, and the eldest daughter is a fashion designer, the middle daughter is like this club girl, and the youngest daughter is just trying to be normal. And it's about what happens with the three of them when the oldest one disappears again. And the two younger sisters are trying to find her and figure out what happened to her. And the father has passed away and I won't tell you what happened to him. And I can't really tell much more without like giving away the twist of the book. It it was very dark in like a Neil Gaiman kind of dark, Mm. (laughs) Um, but it was very good. I love fantasy that's our world with a dark twist like N.K. Jemison mm. or Seanan McGuire like those kinds of books quite mm-hmm. a bit it's definitely that kind of feel so that was very very good I'm also reading Summer Suns right now which is definitely an arc that we got here at the store so I don't think that it's published yet because I'm also a huge dark academia fan are you guys familiar mm, with that genre no. 
the boarding school and something bad yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Like and... my favorite book of all time is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So that one I just started and it's excellent so far. And that's about like these two young men and I can't figure out if they were just like inhumanly close friends or lovers like the book has not really revealed that to me yet but one of them has died and the other one has come to try to figure out what happened to his friend slash lover and I think it's at Vanderbilt and he's trying to solve this mystery of what happened and there's some deep southern gothic stuff going on Mm. and some ghost stuff and some creepy vibes and it's, it's really good so far so uh, definitely a good hot summer read. Who's the author? Who's Lee Mandelo? And is L- it Sons like S O N S or S U N S? S O N S. Okay. And it has a picture of like a normal hand reaching for a skeletal hand on the Ooh. cover. Yeah. Cool. Those both sound really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm always in for like the dark, twisted kind of stuff. Yeah. And you sold me when you said Neil Gaiman. I was like, okay, I'm sold. I'm in. <laughs> I'll do that. All right. Well, Amy, you were gone. You were out in uh, California. I did read some books that were set in California. This is not one of them. I just finished this really delightful children's book called Memento Monstrum by a German author named Johan Thiel. And I discovered this book through Instagram, actually. Mm. I saw a picture of the cover and the artwork just really pulled me in. And it's being published in English by a new publisher here in the U.S. called Arctis Books. And they focus on books and translation. So this particular book is not coming out until October 6th. So this review might be a little bit of a tease, but I couldn't turn down the opportunity to talk about it. So the book is a memoir of Vlad Dracula, who is now 600 years old, and he must watch his three grandchildren for the weekend while his wife and daughter go to Paris for a spa and shopping weekend. So in the illustrations, Vlad and his grandchildren, they are drawn as cute, furry, like vampire bats instead of like the threatening vampire with the cape and the greased back hair and everything, the way that we would think of it, a Halloween vampire. And the grandkids are fun. The oldest is a boy who's in his early teens and he's always on his phone or playing video games. (laughs) The middle child is a girl and she thrives on arguing with her brother. And then there's the youngest who is smart and spunky and she asks a lot of questions just like any five-year-old would. So it's a very relatable sibling relationship. And Vlad's grandchildren are in the library of the castle that he lives in and they find this old photo album and they ask him about some of the pictures inside. So he in turn begins to tell them stories about his life, just like any grandpa does, right? So his stories include things like the time he fell in love with a Yeti and <laughs> and how his childhood pet fish came to fall in love with a huge spider and what kind of clandestine work he did with a mummy and a story about how he influenced one of the most famous bands in history. And I'm not going to tell you the band, but it is, it's a real band that everybody would know. <laughs> and so one of the things that I found fun and innovative about the story is that Van Helsing from the original classic Dracula book is in this story and is mentioned a lot. But Van Helsing in this book, he's a little bit crazed to kill <laughs> Vlad, and he can't ever seem to achieve his goal. And so it reminded me a lot of the Roadrunner and the Coyote from the <laughs> cartoons, where Van Helsing is kind of inept, and Vlad always outsmarts him. 
and Vlad is portrayed more as the good guy. There's also some really affirming messages that are planted into here too, like assuming things about groups of people because that's just the stereotype. So for instance, not all vampires are bad and we shouldn't be scared of them just because that's the way they're portrayed in, in movies or that your size doesn't determine your skill. So, so it's a body positivity. So the story about the Yeti, the Yeti's female, and she wants to be a ballerina. And so she tries out for the ballet in Paris. And the director says she's the best ballerina that they've ever had, but they want her to shave all of her fur off and put on special clothes so that she can conform more to a ballerina expectation. And the Yeti rejects that. So I would say that this book is probably for ages eight and up. It has pictures, but not on every page. So it's not a picture book for young children. Yeah, it looks really cute. It is, but it's a more advanced than like an early chapter book. In fact, I think it'd be a really good one for kids to read with their parents. And it's great because there are a lot of references that parents will get that will simply just go over the heads of kids like the references to van helsing and to the rock band that i mentioned so there's multiple layers to it just like with great kid movies that you know that can entertain both kids and adults like you know aladdin i was so excited by this book i reached out to the publisher arctis books and we've asked them to be a guest on the show because i love the idea of what they're doing taking great books from other countries that we may have never heard of here and printing them in English so we can enjoy these treats. But like I said, this book comes out in October and it would make a great Halloween read. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now on Edelweiss and it looks super cute. I got a copy to read through NetGalley and I think, you know, the artwork, it really pops, but it's kind of gentle and just fun and it's just a great read. So I highly recommend it. I'm holding out to get the actual book in October. This looks yeah. like a super cute Halloween book. We'll have to get some into the shop. That would be awesome because I really think it's it's just really clever. All right. Well, we are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Caroline is going to answer her three about me. We are back with Caroline, and she's going to answer her three about me. So question number one, not only are you the manager of Blue Marble Books, but you also have your own theater company. So tell us about it, and what is devised theater? And also, (laughs) what is the most unique place your company has performed? Oh, gosh. Um, Okay, so I run a theater company called Invoca Performance, and we get our name from the Italian method of saying break a leg, which is in Boca al Lupo, which means into the mouth of the wolf, which I think is the best way to describe performing, which I've ever heard of. (laughs) And and it means that our logo is actually a giant wolf's head eating a tiny person. So we specialize in devised theater. So devised theater is basically creating original theater that does not have a script. So we start with an idea or a theme and we create original theater around that idea or theme, or we create what's called deconstructed theater. So we will create an original piece of theater around a script that already exists. So we might take a piece of Shakespeare and take it apart like a puzzle and then rebuild it from the ground up. So for example, I'm about to go into working with my kids theater for the summer and we are creating a piece of theater called The Book of Monsters. And it is going to be all about monsters from history, fairy tales, mythology, and all kinds of stuff 
And I have no idea what the show is going to look like. I have no idea what the finished product will be. The kids are going to write original music. They're going to create original choreography. They are going to write original scripts. And I do not know what it will look like. But the end will be a finished, polished, beautiful piece that will talk about monsters throughout time, history, and stories. And the kids will do their own research and we will all solve that problem together. That <laughs> oh, sounds wow. cool. Um, yeah, it's really, really neat. It's a lot of fun. Um, we've created pieces around Edgar Allan Poe. We've created pieces around Alice in Wonderland. We've created pieces around all kinds of crazy things. Craziest place that we have performed was probably an old lagering tunnel. So we performed a couple times at the Mockby, which is a nightclub in Cincinnati that is in, in an old lagering tunnel. It is off of Central Parkway in Cincinnati. A lagering tunnel? Like yeah, with so, logs? What's a lagering tunnel? Oh, no, lagering spelled with an A. L-A-G-E-R. Oh, <laughs> for oh. beer. For people who are not familiar, Cincinnati was a huge beer town and still is. And, and in actuality, because I used to give tours around Cincinnati, the Depression didn't actually hit Cincinnati very hard. In fact, only one bank ever closed. But Prohibition is what hit Cincinnati really uh -huh. hard. Like Prohibition crippled the city of Cincinnati because Cincinnati was such a strong German lagering town. So the city of Cincinnati is actually filled and catacombed with lagering tunnels. They're all over the city of Cincinnati. And you can actually take tours of the lagering tunnels of Cincinnati. And so the Mock Bee is a club, a nightclub that's built into one of the old lagering tunnels in the city. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I like the lagering better than the lagering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would, they would make beer in those tunnels because the tunnels are never more than like 45 degrees Fahrenheit. So it stays Ooh. cool for the process of lagering beer. I and, see. Uh, okay. So wait, we can tour these when we come up to yeah, yeah i actually work with and I'm, i promise i'm not trying to self-promote i work with a company called american legacy tours and they give tours of i do the newport is haunted tour so we talk about like the mafia and stuff like that that was in newport kentucky but they also give tours of the lagering tunnels in over the rhine and cincinnati question number two so you're a big fan of fringe festivals most yeah. notably there's one in cincinnati the cincinnati fringe festival yeah, so we just finished it what is a fringe festival and give us an example of one of your favorite experiences at one um okay so a fringe festival f-r-i-n-g-e is a festival, and these happen all over the world, the most famous of which is Edinburgh Fringe in Scotland. And that's the biggest one that happens in the world. So fringe festivals are theater festivals that specialize and highlight theater companies and theater performances that are not mainstream theater companies or performances. So they are not regional theater companies. They are not union houses. They are not equity houses. So for instance, you guys have Actors Theater of Louisville. Mm -hmm. Up here we have a Playhouse in the Park. Those are not companies that perform at fringe festivals. Fringe festivals are made for scrappy, small, weird theater performances. It's a chance for those performances and companies to get highlighted and seen by theater goers. And actually, I don't know if you guys know the TV show Fleabag. Yes. That show was born at Edinburgh Fringe. <gasps> really? And became and got picked up as a television show from Edinburgh Fringe. Huh. So fringe festivals can be a place where some really amazing art is born. Huh. Yeah, so, I love yeah. Fleabag. My favorite experience 
started at Cincy Fringe and then we later took it to Boulder Fringe in Boulder, Colorado, was probably my show that we created called Charlie's Girls. And it was a piece that I wrote and then created with a group of seven women. And it was about the women in the Manson family and their experience basically being brainwashed by Charles Manson and what that looked like and how easy it was for these women who just wanted a place to belong and to be loved, how easy it was for these very normal women to be taken in by this man. Oh, cool. Very interesting. Although I was going to say, since we got the lagering idea one, we could really go to town on the Fringe Festival, Amy, like bangs or like vests (laughs) with those things hanging (laughs) off of them. We just wrapped the Cincy Fringe Festival in which I directed a piece called The Butterfly Heist. It was a Dateline parody of a true story that happened at the Crone Conservatory up here in Cincinnati, where a woman stole a butterfly from the Crone Conservatory butterfly exhibit that takes place every year. And we actually won Artist Pick of the Fringe, which was really fun. So it's, it's a really, really neat thing. And for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a really cool and affordable way to see some really fun and exciting art. All right. Last question. So according to LinkedIn, we do our <laughs> research here. I, was, no, I saw you guys saw these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, they really did the research on we me. Did, we do the research. <laughs> we might have cats that interrupt our recording, but, but the questions are top notch. So you speak French and Italian if LinkedIn is to be trusted. So how did you pick up those languages? I took French for six years uh, in high school and in college. French is probably the hardest for me. I can read it well, but I don't speak it well. I did spend several years tutoring two Parisian girls, but I tutored them in English literature. And they spent a lot of time correcting my pronunciation because they were Parisian. So I always hated speaking in French to them. (laughs) They were eight and nine and they corrected my pronunciation. Italian, my first graduate school experience was in Italy. I attended the Academia dell'Arte in Arezzo, which is the city where they filmed the movie Life is Beautiful. Mm. So it's about 40 minutes outside of Florence. So I attended that program for a year. It was their first graduate school program. It's a beautiful, charming, lovely school in the foothills of Tuscany in a former Medici villa. It's a lovely, lovely program. I highly recommend that folks look at their summer programs. It's really wonderful. But my Italian at the time was pretty good. It is no longer as good. Um, I now have what I would call traveler's Italian. So like if I went to Italy right now, I could probably safely navigate my way through. But it would take a while for my Italian to come back. I probably need to update my LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) So so here's the thing I really want to know. From your time, Italy, what is the thing that you ate or you drank that you still think about that you want to have again? So... One of the greatest things in Italy is something called Vino Sfuso. And it's basically where you can go to these shops and you can get wine off the tap and they'll fill a bottle for you right there off of a red or a white tap. And they had the Nuovo, so the new red wine of the season. And it was literally just like the greatest red wine I've ever had in my life. And it was in Arezzo and it was... I, I, I've never had red wine that compared. It was the Nuovo Vino Rosso and it was so good. And it was literally like 
two and a half euros for the bottle and nothing compared, nothing compared. It was so cheap and it was so good. It was cheaper than a bottle of water. Like it was so good. Oh, wow. Italy was like the one place I've traveled to where I was like, this is like everything that Hollywood makes it look like. It really is. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds amazing. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for spending a few hours with us this morning telling (laughs) us all about the Blue Marble. It has been a ton of fun. And if you are a bookstore tourist like I am, and when I go to a new city, I always check out the local bookstores. You need to check out Blue Marble. It's such an honor to be a part of this. Thank you so much for inviting me. You can find the Blue Marble on Facebook and Instagram at Blue Marble Books and at their website, www.bluemarblebooks.com. Did you know you can find a list of all the books, podcasts, movies, and TV shows we talk about on our website? You don't need to have a pencil and paper sitting right next to you to write down all the titles you hear us mention. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on your podcast player. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at forwardradio.org.